Let's uh, turn in our Bibles again to Luke's Gospel, chapter 8. We're reading from verse 26 uh, to verse 39. The story of the man uh, who called himself Legion. Don't suppose that uh, any of us have direct experience of this kind of situation. This is in many ways a remote uh, illustration of the the power of evil. Uh, A man who is so possessed by demons that uh, he has remarkable power and is a frightening spectacle to all in the vicinity. Uh, It's an extreme case of being under the power of sin. But I think there's two things that should be said here. One is that in many places in the world today, especially on the the frontiers of the gospel, uh, people encounter exactly this kind of situation. Just to give an illustration, uh, the author, uh, O. Palmer Robertson, is also involved with a reformed seminary in Uganda. And he tells the story of uh, how, when he was initially out there, that he was taken to a nighttime fireside meeting with a witch doctor. And this man was possessed uh, by an evil spirit and had incredible powers of strength and prediction. And he was hired by people to put curses on other people, uh, to put spells on them. And as Palmer Robertson approached him at the fireside. The man identified him. Before he had any knowledge of the man, he said, what are you doing here, man of God? And then he began to try to intimidate him. And uh, he took a bar of steel and holding it in his teeth, bent this bar of steel with power that was clearly uh, beyond normal human power. He was possessed of extraordinary strength, which derived from an evil place, but he was aware that there was a man of God in his presence. That's the first thing to say. Such things are still observed in the world today. And the second thing to say is that this is on the extreme end, if you like, of the effects of sin in lives. But It is just that. It's at one end of the the spectrum of how sin becomes visible. But it is therefore illustrative of how sin affects all lives, maybe in a less visible and dramatic form, but nevertheless, what we see happening here to this poor man is what happens when sin ravages any life. And so... Uh, it's, it's not simply a curiosity which has no relevance to you or to me. It is very relevant to our condition without the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul describes the condition of all believers before salvation, uh, all people before salvation in, in Ephesians 2, 1 to 2. You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That same uh, evil uh, master who had uh, exploited this man is at work in all who rebel against the rule of God. So, we are going to see this as something which has very direct relevance to all of us. And one of the challenges 
from the story is to ask ourselves whether you have experienced something of the supernatural power of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. Something in your life that can be accounted for by no other reason than the power of the living God in your life making a very real change. And if you have, then the second challenge is, are you proclaiming what God has done as the man was told to do? Well, we're going to look at this account, first of all, looking at the condition of the man, Legion, and then the cure of Legion, and then the challenge that Legion presented. The condition, the cure, and the challenge. This story comes immediately after a remarkable uh, demonstration of Jesus' power on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, This storm had come up quickly, and... The disciples were terrified. They came to Jesus, who was sleeping with exhaustion. They woke him up. They said, don't you care that we're going to drown? Jesus stands up, addresses the storm, and the storm becomes a flat calm. They're all amazed, and they say, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Jesus has demonstrated his power over creation. Now we see him demonstrating his power over the spirit world. He is showing in different ways that he is Lord, Jesus is Lord. Ultimately, uh, the gospel, ultimately the Bible, it's all about him. It's his story. And now the boat pulls up on the eastern shore of the lake and it's in Gentile, what we call Gentile territory. In other words, non-Jewish territory. In a place they call the Decapolis or the Ten Towns. How do we know it was non-Jewish? Well, uh, what the most obvious sign is that there's loads of pigs there and the Jews didn't eat bacon, pork, and so they didn't keep pigs. Pigs, was an un- pigs were an unclean animals. Uh, and these people are, are Gentile people. They don't have Jewish laws. So it's probably very early morning as the boat arrives on this side of the sea They step out onto the shore and they hear a wild shriek uh, and a a man with a crazed look runs towards them. Actually, uh, one of the Gospels mentions two men and it's possible that Legion, as he identifies himself, had uh, a more subdued companion with him. The man on whom Luke and the others focus is naked. Uh, His Flesh has been cut by stones. There's blood congealed in his arms and in his matted hair. He's a long, wild beard. He's trailing broken chains. The smell of B.O. is overwhelming. He runs towards the shore. Now, there's no mention made of what happens to the disciples or what the disciples do. I can imagine what they did. They probably ran back into the boat as fast as their legs could take them. Or they went behind a large rock or stone to get out of the way of this man because he's quite clearly seriously dangerous. But the Lord Jesus stands his ground before him. And the man speaks in a voice that has an eerie quality, I'm quite sure about it, because he's speaking from the power that that has possessed him within and shrieks at high volume, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. 
And then Jesus does two very significant things. He commands the the evil spirits, the demons, to leave. And then he asks the man what his name is. I think they're both really significant. He, He shows his power to do something to change the man's condition. This is what he clearly needed. He needed to have this awful power removed from him. But isn't it a wonderful and a personal touch that the Lord should ask him what his name is? Who would ever thought to do that in recent years? Jesus is showing that he has a concern for this man. He matters to him as an individual. He is a real individual and as such he has a name. Someone loved him one day and gave him a name. Now the man standing before Jesus that day was said is a man in an extreme condition. He is, we would say, he's out of his mind, beside himself. He's been taken over by a dark power. But I want to suggest to you that there are three characteristics of this man that are shared by everyone before they come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Three things that were characteristic of Legion, that are characteristic of you and of me, before Jesus liberates us by his power. Sin spoils our lives in three different directions. And in the first place, our relationship with God is spoiled by sin. And we see that straight away with this man. Uh, The demons who inhabit his soul know all about Jesus. Uh, In fact, it's interesting, isn't it, that some of the the most accurate, some of the most uh, noble uh, titles for the Lord come from demons. You know, they know who Jesus is. They know. They tremble. They don't love him. They don't honor him. But they know who he is. And what a a wonderful... uh, entitlement they give to Jesus, Jesus, son of the most high God. And yet at the same time, they want to repel Jesus. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? There's a hostility towards the Lord. It's both a question, what do you want with me, and a challenge. I don't want anything to do with you. (laughs) What do you want with me? I don't want anything to do with you. He is resisting Jesus and he assumes that Jesus has come to do him harm. Have you come to torture me? Now, a broken relationship with God is clearly what is characteristic of everyone who's not yet trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not comfortable in God's presence and we think that God wants to spoil our life. That is where we've all been. And so we have stereotypical images of what church is like or about what it would be like to to trust Jesus and live the Christian life. Uh, Jesus is going to be a killjoy. He's going to extract every ounce of delight from my life if I hand my life over to him. 
And therefore, although I am not an atheist, I don't want to say that I don't believe in God, I'm definitely going to keep him at arm's length because he's not good for me. That is our natural condition. We don't have a relationship of trust. We don't have a living relationship with God. We don't know him as father. We're estranged from him. We're alienated from God. And that was the case with this man here. Now, again, he's at the far end of the spectrum. Uh, He's demon-possessed. And there's a spectrum, isn't there, in our own day. You've got the shrill voices of the new atheists who scream about God and who have this completely distorted view of what Christianity does to people. If you ask Richard Dawkins what the gospel's like, he'll say it's, it's child abuse to teach children the gospel. He has a very, very uh, distorted, uh, bitter, embittered view of Christianity. Sin breaks our relationship with God. It also spoils our relationship with others. Now we see that in the the fact that this man was completely uh, de-socialized. He was living in a remote place. Uh, He was running around naked and he was a crazy guy. And nobody wanted to be his friend. He was completely isolated socially. Now, again, he's an extreme case. But what I want to say is that sin does that. Sin spoils our friendships. It really does. You know what, what the essence of sin is? It's to be turned in on yourself. Sin turns us in on ourselves. Grace turns us out from ourselves. Friendship is a gift from God. When when you see a a good friendship, it's something that's very beautiful. People who are enjoying each other's company and who who really will the other person's good. They have a completely uh, disinterested love for the other person. They're not in it for themselves. They want the good of the other person. That's the essence of of a good friendship. Now, sin will always hurt that kind of pure friendship because sin turns us in and ourselves. And sin will lead to us being jealous. Uh, We're wanting something that doesn't belong to us. It will uh, lead to us being suspicious uh, of others, uh, suspicious of their motives. It will make us want to uh, protect greedily what is our own. Uh, We're basically... Self-centered, greedy. Uh, These are sinful characteristics and clearly they're not good for our relationships. They spoil friendship. And we see that in lurid, technicolor detail in the man who called himself Legion. Uh, Significantly, he's living amongst the tombs. He's away from all living company. He has no desire to fit in to normal company. He's a misfit. He is alienated from society. So sin will always spoil our relationship with God. It'll spoil our relationship with others. But you know, in a strange way, it separates you from yourself. Sin is dehumanizing. Sin is dehumanizing. Grace makes you more truly human. When you know Jesus as your saviour, you become more 
of a true human being than you were before. But sin will dehumanize you. Now, why do I say that? This because when you ask, when the, the man is asked for his name, he doesn't give the name that a father and mother once lovingly and thoughtfully bestowed upon him. He's long since ceased to use that name for himself. What did he say? My name's Legion. And then there's the explanatory note that uh, he had been possessed by many demons. Uh, the, the, the name Legion's probably from the, the title of, of, a, of a, a Roman unit of war, a legion, which had four to 6,000 men uh, in that unit. And so the name simply indicates that he is possessed by a host of demons. From the other Gospels, we know that 2,000 pigs went into the lake. That's not to say there were 2,000 demons. We don't really know how many there were, but there were a lot of demons in this man. And because he is possessed, because this is his presenting condition, this has become his name. His label is his name. He calls himself legion because that's his condition. He has a legion of demons in him. How many people begin to label themselves by their besetting condition? In the story that Jesus told of the the young boy who left the farm to go to the far country to spend his inheritance, we're told that there was a turning point when he decided that he'd return back home. And Jesus said he came to himself. He came to himself. And the implication is that all the time that he was using up his inheritance on wild living, he was away from himself. He was not himself. But when grace came to that man, he came to himself. He was restored to his own humanity. Sin dehumanizes, but grace humanizes us. If we want to be truly uh, the people that God intended, then Jesus is the only one who can make us truly human. This man has been dehumanized, and all he can say in response to the question, who are you? What's your name? I'm Legion. That's the man's condition. He is alienated from God, from others, and from himself. Look now with me at the cure. Verse 29 in the story gives a poignant description of the man after Jesus had cured him. Can't be 29, must be 35. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind and they were afraid the local authority had been unable to do anything with this man before Jesus of Nazareth stepped off that boat all they could do was restrain him all they could do was to try to limit the devastation the mayhem that he caused. And so they had chained him and they had set a guard to try to keep him in the one place. But they couldn't do anything to restore him. He was beyond their ability. 
Human ingenuity can't change the human problem. And from time to time, you come across uh, quite bold efforts to try to do that, efforts to create a kind of utopia on Earth. Uh, I was <coughs> came across a local instance of that on the internet. Uh, it was a report of the it was South Lanarkshire Council's decision to refuse application for a new town down near uh, to, to Lanark and, and uh, Douglas Water. And a group of people had a plan to begin a community that they were going to call Owen's Town after the philanthropist Robert Owen who began New Lanark. And what was interesting was that the the promoters of the scheme on their own internet site spoke about the, the desire that they had that this new town, which would be uh, sustainable and green and would be based upon the cooperative principle, would result in some of the, the community spirit and neighbourliness that had been seen once in Scotland but had been lost. And Owenstown was going to bring this about again. Now, these are great ideals, but, friends, in the absence of a spiritual dimension, in the absence of the gospel, then it's not possible to change the heart and bring about the kind of things that people long to see, to see a disinterested love, to see a neighborly spirit. Now, I'm not saying that... that such things aren't worth attempting. I'm not saying that such things shouldn't be encouraged. Of course they should. They are, they are bold and they are noble and they, they are aiming high. But alongside all of these things, we need the power of the gospel. And that holds true for every kind of social endeavor. You know, the alcoholic who is enabled to uh, become sober, unless he comes to the Lord Jesus Christ... What is he? He's still just a sober sinner. He's still going to the same end destination. The drug addict who leaves his addiction is still left with the addiction to sin without Christ. And so unless the gospel is proclaimed alongside our social involvement, then we leave the deepest ills of our fellow citizens unaddressed. We're simply holding the demons in restraint. And that's all that they could do in that place. Jesus appeared in the scene and cast out the demons. Now, some people stumble over the fact that Jesus allows the, the demons to go into the pigs as they requested. The philosopher and skeptic Bertrand Russell wrote a famous book entitled Why I Am Not a Christian. And in the course of the book, uh, he says that this story led him to the conclusion that Jesus was neither the best nor the most virtuous of men. And it uh, disturbed Russell that Jesus could allow a herd of 2,000 pigs to be destroyed. He said no good and virtuous man would allow that to happen. And therefore, Jesus was not who the gospel said he was. And therefore, Christianity is not true. Not really a very strong argument, is it, uh, for trying to disprove the gospel. Now, I don't know why the Lord Jesus Christ permitted 
the demons to go into the pigs. I believe that the reason he didn't allow them to, to be sent to the abyss, which is what they feared, is that the time of their destruction hadn't come. Demons and, and all Satan's forces will one day be destroyed. They will be sent into the abyss. But that time has not yet come. Don't know why Jesus permitted the pigs to be destroyed, but what we do know is that Jesus also taught that God cares for every sparrow. He has his eye upon the sparrow. And that Jesus has also taught us that God values humans, you and I, more than any sparrow. And perhaps one of the reasons was that the people in the village at the time were to be tested as to whether they saw that this man was worth more than many pigs. Clearly, the response later on showed that they didn't. City, Gadara, or Gerasa, there's various thoughts as to what the, the, the name of the city was, uh, was probably like one of the uh, rural towns that you see in Italy where the farmers actually don't live on their holdings but they live in the, the town itself and they'll go out to work the land. And the pigs were held collectively, just as in, in some highland townships you'll have what they call a sheep stock club and the, the sheep will be, will be owned collectively. That seems to be what happened here. Uh, there was a large herd of pigs and there were a few of the, the townsmen were looking after them. And when the demons entered them, there was this dramatic event. There was a low rumble in the distance and a cloud of dust, panicking, squealing sound, and then splashing as a herd hit the water of the lake. And the pig herds, the herdsmen, they run off in terror and they report what happened back in the town. And when the people come from the town and see what had happened, they're met with this striking sight, this sight that, that we read. The man sitting calm, clothed in his right mind. We're not told what was going on here, but I think that we're supposed to presume that he was being taught by the Lord Jesus. Because it's the same picture that we have of, of Mary of Bethany sitting at the feet of of Jesus, being instructed by the Lord. And this man is now soaking up all that Jesus has to say to him. It's a wonderful picture. He has been restored completely in all three directions that we mentioned. He's been restored to himself. He's in his right mind. Uh, he's restored to human company. He's clothed again. He's fit to go into human company to have social interaction. But the main restoration is that he's been restored to the Lord. His relationship to God has been healed. And he is now typical of every Christian. How do you recognize Christians? Well, Christians are people who are submissive to the teachings of the Lord Jesus. They want to be taught and instructed by Jesus. And that's the great change that we see in this man here. He has been mastered by Christ. And for the first time, he's comfortable in his own skin. For the first time, he's feeling fully human. For the first time, 
In many a year, he's not possessed by an urge to wreck and destroy and hurt. For the first time, he is drinking in the words of the master. Now, friends, this is a wonderful picture of what grace does, the grace of Jesus does in a life. It does what no psychologist can do, what no probation officer can do, what no prison warden can do. Jesus has brought hope and life to legion. Now, what about you? Remember, this guy is at the far end of the spectrum, but we're there, all of us, without Jesus. Has there been in your life something that's only accountable by the supernatural power of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when a person believes in Jesus, when a person trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ, something happens that only God can do. There's a change from within. There's a new desire to learn of Jesus and to follow him and serve him. Strong man Satan's been bound and we've been released to find a new and a true freedom. Do you know that in your experience? The power of the living God. The sight of Legion sitting peacefully at the feet of Jesus presents a big challenge to those who looked on. They're amazed, first of all. They don't know what to think. And then their emotion changes to one of fear. In fact, Luke mentions twice that they were overwhelmed with fear. It's kind of funny, isn't it, that they should be afraid now? Because we're not told that they were afraid before. Now, possibly they were afraid before. Possibly they were afraid to go anywhere near the tombs because of this crazy guy. But we're not told they were. And it's maybe the case that they simply got used to the fact that Legion was there and that you had to be careful. And they had their coping mechanisms for Legion. And Legion and his demons had simply become uh, the wallpaper that they no longer noticed. That's true to life. Uh, People can get used to Coping with, with even folks in their family who are, who are alcoholic or who've got addiction problems or philanderers or compulsive liars. Uh, we've got coping, mechan- coping mechanisms for all of these things. But when someone's converted, when someone becomes a Christian and their life radically changes, people don't find it easy to cope with that. It's a challenge. And friends, it's a challenge because... The people who came from the town were themselves under the influence of Satan. Not so visibly, not so dramatically, but they were under his sway. And they were resisting Jesus. That's why they wanted to leave the district. They don't want him hanging around. They're being challenged at a whole lot of levels. They're being challenged as to what is important in their lives. Uh, And it seems to be that what is important in their lives is their way of earning money. These pigs that have been lost represented not only pig meat, but their income. 
And it seems that it's that which mattered more to them than the well-being of this man. They don't mind helping him so long as helping simply means restraining him. But if a man's deliverance is going to cost a whole herd of pigs, well, Jesus, please leave the area before you start healing other demoniacs and losing more pigs. And in the end of the day, it's the townsfolk who are more to be pitied than legion. Okay, their behavior is not crazy, it's not frightening. It's respectable outwardly, but behind this polite respectability, Jesus, would you please leave our town? Behind the polite respectability is a determination that they will not know this man, Jesus, in the way that Legion does. The cured man is a challenge. He's also challenged. He wants to follow Jesus. It's a lovely instinct. He wants to continue being taught by Jesus. But Jesus says, go home and tell of all the great things that the Lord has done for you. Isn't that lovely? Something that everyone who's a Christian can do. There's an obvious message to share. All that God has done for you. It's obvious, isn't it? Tell them about salvation. That Jesus breaks the chains of sin. Tell them about grace. People would be asking Legion, Legion, were you, were you uh, following Jesus for a long time? Did you get cleaned up before you went to speak to him? And Legion would say, no, I was in chains. I was filthy. I was running around naked. Jesus met me as I was. It was his work, not mine. Tell people about grace. And we tell people who are close to us, those in our family circles. Sometimes, you know, we're blind to the people who are our mission field. They're just too close to us. The people in our families, the people we work with, the neighbors in our streets. And look at the, the enthusiasm with which he went about. He went around telling everybody in the town. It's fantastic. The Lord would give us that, that zeal as well, to tell everyone. Who knows who met Jesus in a saving way through the witness of this man. So there we are, we're done. But we're left with two challenges, two challenges. First of all, do you know the power of God in a saving way in your life? Because you need that just as much as Legion did. And if you don't, will you seek Jesus? Ask him to save you. And if you do, then you're also called to proclaim the good things that God has done. Just where you are. The obvious people, the obvious message, with the obvious enthusiasm of one who's been delivered. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for... <coughs> the love that you have shown to us. We thank you for the love that shines so clearly in this encounter between Jesus and the poor man who called himself Legion. We thank you for the, the personal interest that Jesus shows in us, as he showed in this man, for his power which is released through the gospel and, through, and the calling that he gives us to share that good news with others. Help us, Lord, to respond in faith uh, to your word to us this morning. Help us, Lord, to give you glory in our obedience to your word. In Jesus' name.